Welcome to the Staying Ages podcast, a show that will equip you with the major keys to achieve extraordinary longevity. This is your girl, Asosa E, also known as Raw Girl. I'm a certified nutrition specialist and behavioral coach. And today on the show, we will be talking about the amazing benefits of sleep. To get this longevity party started, I'm going to give a brief rundown on the importance of sleep. Did you know that undersleeping can leave you prone to various illnesses and lead to obesity, heart disease, high blood pressure, and diabetes? Sleep is also really important for a healthy body and healthy mind. Today, I'll be talking about some of the amazing benefits of sleep and why you should make a good night's sleep non-negotiable for you. And later, we'll be chatting with our expert for today, the incredible Dr. David Shirazi. I am so grateful to have each and every one of you tuning into the show from all over the world. Shout out to listeners in the USA, UK, Ireland, Spain, South Africa, France, Germany, and so much more. If today's show inspires you, I'm inviting you to go ahead and subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It means the world to me to get feedback, so any reviews are much appreciated. And simple side note, Staying Ageless 30 Plus, my transformational eight-week program is back and in full effect. If you are a woman over the age of 30, interested in achieving longevity, getting your habits together, learning what exercise and diet is best for your body, you don't want to miss out because we only do this twice a year. So sign up for a call, go to therawgirl.com and sign up for a 20-minute call apply and we can talk to you about whether or not staying ageless is right for you. We've had women who've taken staying ageless lose up to 30 pounds within the eight-week program, reverse hypertension, reverse diabetes, get off of all of their medications, achieve glowing skin, hormonal balance, and so much more. We hope to see you in class or at least chat with you on the phone very soon. All right, y'all. Today, let's talk about one of my favorite topics, sleep. (sighs) I can never get tired about talking about how important sleep is, as it is the foundation of healthy living and so essential for optimal health. Adults between the ages of 18 and 64 generally need around seven to nine hours of sleep per night. Adults over the age of 65 need seven to eight hours of sleep. Sadly, statistics show that 35% of Americans don't get the recommended seven hours of sleep each night. Again, sleep is the foundation of healthy living. And I actually became obsessed with sleep first in college. I had this incredible professor named Dr. James Moss who taught about the power of sleep. And then later when I became a practicing nutritionist, it became so evident how essential sleep is. I couldn't help my clients lose weight, recover from chronic conditions, recover from eating issues or just, you know, making wrong food choices without first addressing their lack of sleep. So here's some things you need to know if you don't know already about the benefits of sleep. Short sleep duration is one of the strongest risk factors for obesity. So if you're trying to lose weight, getting adequate sleep is absolutely critical. Poor sleep affects your hormones that regulate your appetite. Generally speaking, when we don't get enough sleep, Our brain craves glucose, so we tend to crave a bunch of junk food, sugary things, refined carbs, all the stuff that's actually not going to help, and then it becomes a cycle. Um, Those who get adequate sleep tend to eat fewer calories than those who don't. Sleep is also important for various aspects of brain functioning. This includes cognition, concentration, productivity, and performance. 
Good sleep can maximize problem-solving skills and enhance memory. Poor sleep has been shown to impair brain functioning and thus affect mental and physical performance. Poor sleepers have a greater risk of heart disease and stroke. Sleep deprivation can also cause prediabetes, and many studies show a strong link between short sleep duration and type 2 diabetes. I've also seen clients with sleep issues and that informing their hypertension as well. Poor sleeping patterns are strongly linked to depression, particularly for those with a sleeping disorder, and also linked to increased inflammation in the body overall. And as we know, when we get adequate sleep, we actually help to improve our immune functioning and protect us against any sort of viral infections or other issues. So there are many things that interfere with our sleep, including a wide range of medications. So many medications can really impair people's sleep. So a lot of times I'm dealing with clients who are dealing with the side effects of things they've been prescribed. Poor sleep hygiene is another issue. Stress and just having that monkey mind going on. Too much exposure to devices late at night. Magnesium deficiency and much more. It can be alarming to see all of the horrible impacts that sleep can have on our health. But the good news is getting good sleep is actually more accessible than you might imagine. So in order to practice better sleep hygiene, which sleep hygiene is basically the habits and the practices that help you get better sleep, I want to give you a few ideas to consider, especially if you're trying to optimize your beauty sleep. First off, this is huge. And I didn't realize until I slept on a horrible mattress, but your mattress matters, okay? The mattress you use for sleeping really, really matters. So if you notice aches and pains when you sleep or you wake up feeling unrested, like you have a neck ache, a back ache, it might be time to change your mattress. Um, Look for organic, chemical-free, or memory foam style, but make sure that the materials used in the mattress are non-toxic and non-carcinogenic because we actually do breathe those in every single night. The next thing you want to do is set a consistent sleep schedule and stick to it as much as possible. This means going to bed and waking up at the same time every day, give or take 20 minutes, including the weekends. Create a sleep framework so that your body becomes accustomed to rest at a certain time of the day. Remember, our body works on circadian rhythm, so we need to give it consistency as much as possible. You also want to keep your room cool and comfortable. The ideal room for sleeping is cool, quiet, and dark. Studies show that a bedroom temperature at around 65 degrees Fahrenheit is the most conducive to healthy, restful sleep. I mean, for me, it's more like 70, so (laughs) gauge yourself, you know, because some people run colder and some people run hotter. So gauge yourself and try to find the right sleep. I do know that if it's hotter than 70, I can't sleep. So I know the optimal temperature and I've kind of figured that out for myself. Your mattress and your pillow should also feel really comfy, which also allows your body to settle down and relax. And then you need to disengage yourself from gadgets at least an hour before sleep. Being in front of screens, phone screens, iPhones, your computer, your Android, whatever, all of these things make it difficult to get good sleep. The flashing lights and notifications, all of these things can actually, and the blue light can actually keep us awake. So you can set your devices to also change change the light in the nighttime. I've definitely done that. And then just make sure that you don't sleep with them right next to your bed so you're not fidgeting on the phone right before you try to go to sleep. Generally speaking, if you're fidgeting on the phone and you're exposed to a lot of blue light, it does affect the quality of your REM sleep and the number of potential interruptions in your sleep that night. So make it a habit to sleep with your phone out of reach. 
And if possible, consider putting it into do not disturb or nighttime mode to block notifications from flashing or vibrating your phone during the night. Next, you want to avoid beverages and foods that contain caffeine. Coffee, tea, any sort of sodas, which I hope you're not drinking anyhow, and chocolate at least six hours before bedtime. Remember that caffeine actually has a half-life of around seven to eight hours, I believe it is. And so if I consume 500 milligrams of caffeine at 2 p.m., at 10 p.m., I'm still going to have 250 milligrams active. So you want to stop consuming maybe around 3 p.m., no more than late afternoon, or early afternoon would be even better. Early afternoon, it's safer to not interrupt your sleep. The ideal time to drink your caffeine is in the morning if you're going to drink it. You want to reduce your alcohol intake also drastically. I know that some people, and I have some clients who kind of get used to using alcohol to help them go to sleep, thinking that they're actually getting better sleep, but really, they're not. Um, Even a single glass of wine close to bedtime can impact your sleep. Although it initially will make you feel drowsy, alcohol ultimately actually interferes with the quality of your sleep. So it alters what's called sleep architecture, the natural flow of sleep through different stages such as deep sleep, REM sleep, and light sleep. Alcohol can also lead to lighter, more restless sleep, which diminishes sleep depth and quality. You're more likely to wake up feeling fatigued. So definitely, even if you have that initial, this is helping me, know that it's not. All right. Well, you make sure that you're only using your bed for sleep. If you struggle with sleep issues, a lot of us tend to work in our beds and, you know, watch TV and browse and do all kinds of stuff. If we can focus on only using it for sleep, this trains our mind to see our bed as a place of rest and to automatically get into relaxation mode when we get into our bed. We also want to limit and avoid naps during the day. Although a short nap of 20, 25 minutes can lift up your mood and leave you more refreshed, at least in the short term, it won't make up for poor sleep quality at night. And sometimes it can interfere with your sleep at night later if you take too long of naps. So it's the best to avoid them altogether. But if you need them, do short ones. Those are usually the best ones to do. Again, naps are not bad, especially if you feel like, okay, I'm not rested, I'm not at my best, and you want to feel a little bit better. Sometimes people find that they feel more sluggish after a nap, and that's usually because um, their body just has such a large sleep debt that they need more. Um, And then maybe the shorter period just wasn't enough to really fulfill that, or they slept too long when they took their nap, and then they got really tired. All right, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to chat with our amazing guest. I am super excited to announce the launch of the new destination I created for online programs called Staying Ageless University. At Staying Ageless University, we create epic content to teach you about holistic wellness and transformational healing programs to help you achieve extraordinary longevity. We believe that learning is an essential component of healing and creating lasting change, and every one of our programs are created from protocols that I have tried and tested on clients who have achieved optimal wellness by following them. Our signature programs include Staying Ageless 30 Plus, which is designed to help women 30 plus interested in staying flat till you're 99 or close to it, create lasting healthy rituals, and the all-new Raw Girls Hormonal Balancing Academy, 
For women suffering with fibroids, PCOS, endometriosis, cysts, or menopausal symptoms, if you're ready to use holistic means to take control of your hormones and get your life back. We also have two new programs that are amazing for New Year's Clean Starts, Detox Your Life, which includes 30-day plant-based detox, either raw or vegan, and Candida and Parasites Be Gone for those who are ready to kick Candida overgrowth or parasites to the curb for good. Enrollment is now open for three of our programs, and we officially launched January 1st, 2021. You can learn more about us and our program offerings at stayingagelessuniversity.com. Hope to see you in class. When I lived in LA, I was at the beach all of the time. (laughs) The beach was my happy place. After going to the beach, I would always stop by this amazing raw food restaurant. They had the most delicious food, burritos, cinnamon rolls. I was obsessed. Fast forward to this year when I wanted to give myself a jumpstart on raw, I discovered that this amazing restaurant that I used to frequent had transitioned to nationwide delivery of fully prepared raw meals. It's called Raw Evolution, and for 20 years, they've been serving the finest and most vibrant living foods meals. They offer a raw box, which includes two fresh pressed juices, four gourmet entrees, four generous sides, and two delicious low glycemic desserts. The raw box is designed to provide one person with about four to five days of lunches and dinners. I also love that the menu changes each week, so there's always lots of variety. I get a lot of inquiries from listeners and clients alike who want to go raw and feel like it's not sustainable time-wise. If this is you, this is an amazing solution to get your raw jumpstart. Head on over to rawvolution.com and use the code RAWGIRL to receive a discount on your first purchase. Today's guest is Dr. David Shirazi. Dr. Shirazi graduated from Howard University College of Dentistry in Washington, D.C. in 2000 and earned a master's degree in Oriental Medicine from Samurai University in 2006 and is also a board-licensed acupuncturist. He has completed over 2,000 hours of continuing education in TMD and facial pain, craniomandibular orthopedics, and sleep-disordered breathing. He has also completed a hospital mini-residency in oriental medicine at the China-Beijing International Acupuncture Training Center, which is the only organization the World Health Organization has authorized to teach internationally on acupuncture and urology, and another at Kyung-hee University and the Medical Center, the top medical hospital and medical research school in Korea. In 2011 through 2016, he became a board licensed registered polysomnograph technologist, or RPSGT, the first and so far only dual-degreed dentist in RPSGT. He's the founder of the Bite, Breathe, and Balance podcast, dedicated to the multidisciplinary approach to treating craniofacial pain and sleep disorders in adults and children. Dr. Shirazi is the director of -of state-of-the-art private practices the TMG and Sleep Therapy Center of Conejo Valley in Los Angeles that are limited to the treatment of TMD, craniofacial pain, sleep breathing disorders, and craniomandibular orthopedics. His practice is part of the TMJ and Sleep Therapy Center International Family, one of over 65 centers throughout the world, and is located in the beautiful hills of Thousand Oaks and Brentwood, California. Personally, Dr. Shirazi enjoys hiking and camping in the state parks, traveling, and speaking. 
Dr. Shirazi, I'm so excited that you are here with me on Staying Ageless. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, bra girl. <laughs> Happy to be here. <laughs> so I found your background super fascinating. Like I go down these nerdy sort of like health rabbit holes where I start studying different things. But I'm like, what? A dentist? And then he studies oriental medicine. And then he's a sleep technologist. I mean, this is like really cool. So can you talk <laughs> give us the, how did this all happen? Was this by design or was it kind of like you were led to different things? Yeah, I was led to different things. It was um, one of those things that I didn't choose my occupation. My occupation chose me from passion. Yeah. So my mom's a dentist, right? And she inspired huh. me to be a dentist. And I always knew, I think I was 14 or younger when I knew I wanted to be a dentist, I'm watching her do root canals and I'm thinking this is the coolest thing ever. Right. And I love working with my hands and I love people. So chatting people up was easy and fun for me. And uh, when I was 18, I had a cold and my mom told me to go to the doctor. And so I go to Kaiser and there's like this huge room filled with people hacking and coughing. So I left, I went home. I came back an hour later, they brought me in and they gave me antibiotics. And my whole family is like doctors and dentists. So I was like, okay, so what is what is this antibiotic going to do for the virus that I have? And the guy's like, well, the antibiotic will focus on the bacterial bugs in your system so that your immune system can focus on the virus. I said, okay, I don't know, I'm 18. I'm like, okay. I tell my mom what he said. And the, my mom was in that age group of, you know, whatever the doctor tells you to do, you got to do it. You know, right, I was like, right. okay. so I took it, I got better and I was a nerd and we didn't have internet. So I literally went to the library. I looked it up. And even in 1991, we knew mm. that you don't give antibiotics for viral infection. There Ooh. are side effects for that. Right. Yeah. So I really, I literally just told myself, these people are friggin' useless. It was literally my thought. And so I decided that, okay, after dental school, I'm going to study something more holistic so that when I have a family, I can care for them better than these idiots, right? Right. So uh, when I was doing martial arts, I did Shaolin uh, martial arts. My instructor was a dental technologist in uh, the army. And he's like, Dave, you have to look into acupuncture. I said, okay. I called the school up, told them my intentions. And they're like, the secretary's like, let me give you the, the dean. I was like, what? <laughs> and the dean picked up and he's like, oh, thank you. And whenever you're ready, I'll give you a personal tour of the school. They were so welcoming. I loved it. So I graduated dental school in 2000. I went to Howard in Washington, D.C. Yeah. Loved my school. Couldn't wait to come back home to California because I do not know why people want to live in Washington, D or the East Coast in general. Like New York is the worst, in my opinion, to live. I hear you. To visit, cool, right? Right, but right. But to live, forget it. And to me, like DC is like a New York light, you know? Right. And um, I came running back to California. I graduated in 2000, and January 2nd of 2001, I was enrolled in a master's program in Chinese medicine. Wow. And I had no intention of finishing the master's. I had no intention of practicing acupuncture. I just wanted to learn as much as I could. Huh. And, and I was learning. And, uh, and they would say like, oh, you can cure this with herbs. And you can, can cure that with acupuncture. And I remember thinking like, okay, dude, you know, come on, you know, just take it easy. Right. And then we got into the clinic the last year or two I was in the clinic. 
And I watched like the most skeptical people come in, like Vietnam veterans that were like, you know, listen, I'm only here because my daughter had a coupon. Right. And I love my daughter and she's been bugging me to try acupuncture. And I'm like, okay. Right. And I was even intimidated. I would tell my teacher, like, can you do it? I'd, yeah, pff, this guy's already. <laughs> yeah. And the patient would have tremendous relief. They'd be like, they have shoulder pain for 40 years. And they're like, you know what? It's not 100% gone, but it's almost 100% gone. This is amazing. Hmm. And my eyes were just like wide open looking at this. And while I was in the clinic, and watching the clinical application of acupuncture and herbs, I was doing orthodontics, what we call functional orthodontics, and this TMJ therapy. And then I thought to myself, well, what if I combined this whole acupuncture and TMJ appliance therapy mm. uh, together, right? Mm -hmm. And I did, and it was hugely successful in terms of you know patient outcome. And um, I have to say, it was, I, I, I've always loved dentistry. Like, I think it's awesome to be a little contractor and work on these little teeth and do all these uh, architectural things in a, in a wet environment on a live patient. It's kind of cool. Mm -hmm. uh, but getting someone out of lifelong migraine, getting someone to sleep through the night and get their life back, having the child no longer have bedwetting and ADD and ADHD, which were all the things I have as a kid. And mm -hmm. now they get to like function in society. And, and, you know, that to me was way more rewarding than, than doing the dentistry. Mm. And, um, and so that's what I did. And then as soon as I graduated acupuncture school, I opened up my center and then I decided to get a master's in psychology. And I did that Again, for myself, I wanted to work on my issues so that when I had kids, I wouldn't pass down all my, you know, childhood stuff onto my poor kids, right? <laughs> you know, that was, again, selfishly reasons, right? But, but you're not the same person after you do that, mm. right? It affects every aspect. The way you look at the world changes, you know, the way you look at yourself. So it, it all just sort of happened. And then um, about... Seven or eight years into my practice, I had moved to a to a bigger facility, and it was a soft shell. Like so, we built it out the way we wanted. And when I did, you know, I had gone to these conferences, for these sleep technology conferences, and I asked the guy, I "Go, hey, can I become certified as a sleep technologist?" He goes, oh, great. You want to own your own sleep lab? I said, no, no, no. I just I just want to show the doctors around me that I didn't take a weekend course in this. I'm the real deal because there is no specialist in dental sleep medicine. I'm board certified, but that's not the same as specialty. So he kept pushing me. He goes, so you want to open up your own office? I go, well, I go, well, are you soliciting me? <laughs> and he goes, kind of, yes. You know, and, and I just remember on the flight home, I was just thinking to myself, you know, I refer these sleep labs like 10 studies a month at least. And wow. maybe they send me one back, right? And I know half of them can't handle the CPAP. So something's, something's wrong with this, right? So I said, what the hell? What do I got to lose? My one referral? you know. Right. So, so I did it with the intention of focusing on research, which is what my sleep lab is, is uh, based upon. And then 
And then just so you know, I never renewed my sleep technology license. So I'm technically no longer a sleep okay. technologist. But I mean, as you know, for every license, you have to do uh, 50 hours of continuing education every couple of years. Yeah. That big tends to add up when you're running two practices and have to manage staff. and, of and course. Overhead. So I was fine with not renewing that. Okay. Okay. So what are the links between sleep and dental health? Because when I think sleep, I don't, I don't think of dental health at all. And I think people really do need to know about this. Yeah. So there's a lot actually. So there's not one aspect of our health that sleep doesn't affect. Mm. There is not one disease that is either directly or indirectly compromised or made worse by compromised sleep. So when we talk about sleep and dentistry, we're talking about obstructive sleep apnea, snoring, things like that. And that has been associated with gum disease, increased cavities, clenching your teeth at night, which then leads to TMJ disorders, which then leads to tension type and migraine type headaches. It's quite a well of, of it, it's quite the rabbit hole. Once you go down and I was shocked myself. Like I had very little training in oral facial pain in dental school. And uh, as most dental schools have very little uh, training. And I remember when I started to get into this, I had heard about the American Academy of Craniofacial Pain. And I went to one of their annual conferences. I was doing about 200 hours a year of CE back then. And when I went to one of their conferences, I couldn't believe it. It was it was shocking how you know this this whole new world like they were talking about things that seemed to have nothing to do with teeth, <laughs> right? You know, and and I I loved it I, I I loved it and it seemed like more opportunity to incorporate the Chinese medicine into being able to help people through the mouth. So. It, it, it's a very, very interesting uh, subject. I'm delighted to be doing it. I absolutely love it. So there's basically, it sounds like basically things that are going on in your mouth can then lead to obstructive breathing. So, so sleep. So for, let me first answer your question about how it affects your, uh, your, your mouth. So if mm-hmm. you have sleep apnea, it's very, very mm-hmm. common that your mouth breathing instead of nasal breathing. Okay. So mm-hmm. that is associated with your saliva being dried up. When your saliva is dried up, it doesn't wash out any of the residual sugars from the last meal you had at bedtime, which means cavity city, right? Right. And then it's also, it doesn't keep your gums moist. Your gums are made of the same material as your skin, but they're pink because they're more vascular, okay? And then it's also associated with clenching your teeth. So then now you have these dried out teeth, which when you mouth breathe, you are collecting dust, right? So now you have a dry mouth with grit on it, and then you're clenching, Mm. right? So Mm -hmm. that whole world is its whole, I mean, I I could stay busy if I just did dentistry (laughs) associated with with sleep apnea. Um, But sleep apnea itself is compromised uh, neuromuscular tone, right? So if you ever see like a really buff guy who works out a lot, when they mm-hmm. wear like a muscle shirt, when they're relaxed, they look mm-hmm. like they're flexing, right? That's because they have a strong basal muscle tone. When we have a weak 
basal muscle tone, it's very easy for the muscles to collapse. Okay? So imagine you're sleeping on your back, and now the soft tissue of your tongue, your pharyngeal muscles start to collapse a bit more, right? And there's also something called the Bernoulli effect, which is when you have the same volume of fluid or air going through a smaller hose, the water is accelerated or the air is accelerated, right? But when it's accelerated, as it's accelerating through, it sucks in the walls, right? Sort of like so when you're holding a garden hose and you're trying to get the grass at the end of your like lawn and you'll, you'll pinch the hose to make it go farther and faster, but if you pinch it a little bit too much, it'll just close right up. Mm, right. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those diseases that the worse it gets, the worse it gets. So it's associated with weight gain and it, it can make you more hungry, even though you don't need the calories. And then you eat and then you become more fat or more swollen or have more edema, which then makes more weight for that basal muscle tone to resist against, which collapses more. So I hope I hope that that explains it. No, it does. It does. Can you take us through the stages of sleep? Yeah, I'd be delighted. So stage one, we call alpha. It is Mm -hmm. a relaxed mental and physical state. So every time we close our eyes, we go into alpha. Okay, even when we're wide awake. Okay. And it's a very basic, you know, segue into deeper stages of sleep. And, And then we get into stage two, which have these very weird patterns on the EEG called K-complexes. And that's, believe it or not, that's the stage of sleep we know the least about. And then we get into what's called Delta. Uh, Delta stage three, when we had stage three and four, they were both Delta. But Delta is where we get almost 100% of all of our growth hormone. Mm. During that one stage, we get almost 100% of our growth hormone. And I always find this fascinating where there's these people on Joe Rogan's podcast that'll say, if you fast for three, four days and then, you know, eat a muffin and have a cup of coffee with butter and salt and fiber in it, you'll increase your growth hormone by 0.13%. Like they're just so excited about these little gains, right? And I'm like, no, just get some goddamn good sleep. Okay. That'll do the most for you, right? And, uh, and which is another reason why when children have sleep apnea, it retards their growth and, de- and physical development. So oh, much. wow. In adults, we don't grow anymore, but we use the growth hormone to repair. So, so then the next stage is REM, right? That's mm-hmm. we go into what's called theta wave. And that is where we do our mental and emotional processing. Right? Mm-hmm. outside mm-hmm. of meditation that's the only time we get it mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. and that's how we handle stress that's how we memorize things for tests and now we're even finding out that our brains have its own separate lymphatic system and during REM is when the brain is clearing out the beta amyloid plaques in the blood vessels so it's a fertile subject, but it's getting, it's like one of those things that the more we learn about it, the more amazed we are by it. Hmm. That's so interesting. I did not know that about Delta and growth hormone. So I guess I love it because as an adult, it's like, if you want to repair, which also 
you know, translates to if you want to age well, because exactly. in order to age well, you have to repair. That's right. Then you need to have that delta phase. And that's right before REM. Right? Yeah, that's right before REM. And then we cycle of that. Then we drop back down into stage one, two, then three, then REM, then one, two, three, REM. One, two, three. Is it three times an average? No, no, no. Five to six times on average. Five right? to six. People okay. that... Um, that wait until after midnight to fall asleep will my, maybe get mm-hmm. four. Okay. Four cycles. Okay. And we'll get okay. more REM um, in the early hours in the morning versus, mm-hmm. you know, when we first fall asleep. Is there a recommended amount of REM sleep to get? Now I have all these sleep trackers now. I'm wearing my whoop tracker. I don't, and, you know, I don't buy into any of those. I was going to ask you if you're into them or not. Well, I love the aura ring. I think the aura gives yeah, pretty decent. Similar. I like the aura. Yeah, pretty yeah. decent data. But again, uh, if the device is not tested against a PSG, to me, it's worthless. It's just a gimmick. Mm. Okay, maybe slightly better than nothing. Like, like maybe it'll tell you how restless you are. Okay, because right. if you fidget in the middle of the night, that, that that's you're, you're restless. And yeah. that also implies what's called an arousal. An arousal is when we go from a deep stage of sleep, like Delta or REM, mm-hmm. into a lighter stage of sleep for 10 seconds or greater, right? So, okay. you know, jerking around in your sleep is an anecdotal observation of a potential arousal. And arousals right. are the most important thing, as far as I'm concerned, much more important than your oxygen. Mm. What's PSG? Oh, a polysomnogram. That's the kind of sleep study where you go into the lab, they put all the leads on you, you know, thermistor, nasal, and um, and we measure your parameters. Okay. Okay. That's really gangster. That's, that's a whole nother level. It's, I'll tell you what. There is more data in a sleep study than there is yeah. in any blood test. Wow. Because we're measuring. There's like 20 leads on the person. We're measuring their brain waves. We're measuring their oxygen, their airflow, their clenching activity, their limb activity, their heart activity, um, their autonomic tone. I mean, these are huge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, we can look at, let's say, the heart rate variability and notice, well, what makes the heart rate variability spike? Is it the oxygen? Is it the clenching? Is it, you know, what? what, what is it that's disturbing it? No, that's cool. That's really cool. Um, so what is it about early stages of life, in particular breastfeeding? How does that tie in with our teeth and our overall health? I mean, I already, I ask this question every single time I see someone in my office. So breastfeeding, whether or not someone was breastfed is very important to me, but I prefer specific reasons. I guess I'm interested in from your perspective. Yeah. So when we look at skulls prior to the Industrial Revolution, Mm -hmm. most people had nice wide arches. They had all their teeth. They were pretty Mm -hmm. straight without an orthodontist, right? They were pretty straight. And there was about that much space behind each wisdom tooth. That's how wide their palates were. And the palate is the roof of the mouth, but it's also the floor of the nose. So if you've got a nice wide palate, you've got a flat palate and a nice big base for your nose to breathe in, right? Mm -hmm. And their sinuses were very small. Their maxillary sinuses were very small. And we know that the average person 
uh, prior to the Industrial Revolution, breastfed for three to five years. Yes. Right? And then they waited. Uh, they, I should say they didn't wait. As soon as the kid grew some teeth, they started giving him or her some food to chew on. Right? So the chewing, the activity of the muscles, like, gives us the ability to, like, have what's called a higher vertical. Right. Mm. So we get more mm. developed chins rather than a recessed chin. And then mm. when we're breastfeeding, so if this is the roof of the mouth, imagine the nipple going inside the baby's mouth. Okay. The mm-hmm. baby the way the baby suckles the nipple is it presses the base of the tip of the tongue against the base of the nipple and makes a, m- a motion like this, which squeezes the milk down the throat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when the nipple is not there, then it swallows the same way, right? It's been taught how to swallow. It's like muscle memory. And when we swallow the proper way, the muscle on its own does the palatal development. That makes sense? Yes. So the actual beginning acts of breastfeeding, all that early chewing is literally laying the foundation for our entire, like, I guess our way our face is wired, sort of, or like our teeth is wired. That's right. So we have genetics okay. and then we have epigenetics, which is how, what we're doing to express the phenotype of our genotype. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. What are, what is something about sleep that you know that you wish everybody else knew? You feel all like it's it. not very common. I wish they, I wish people knew all of it. If people really knew how important sleep is, they would put it above diet and exercise. They would put it above, like, you always hear about older couples saying, you know what, let's never go to bed angry, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it's good for your marriage, but it's also good for yourself, right? Because if you can't process your upset from getting enough REM sleep, you're not going to come out of this good. You, you, you yeah. know what I mean? Or you're not going to come out of this well. You're, you're going to uh, still be ornery about it. You're still going to have resentful feelings. And on paper, you might say, okay, yeah, let's sweep it under the rug. We're done. But then you're going to harbor some feelings. Yeah. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. I try to, I always tell my clients that sleep is the foundation of healthy living. Mm-hmm. And so I can't help you lose weight. You can eat really great if you want to, blah, blah, blah. But it's it's going to, the sleep, the, not having that foundation also affects the way that we create, the kinds of foods that we crave. Um, so it can become this bad cycle. And then it's like also if you don't have the energy that you needed from sleep, you probably won't exercise. Mm-hmm. And if you do exercise without sleep, it's kind of like, why? You're, it's actually a stressor at that point. That's right. It'll create inflammation without your body repairing itself. Yeah. Exactly. So it's like we need the repair as the foundation, and then we build all the other tenants of healthy living on it. So I'm completely in agreement, even though I'm not a sleep technologist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Is there anything else that you can think of that is really important that would be link sleep to the way that we age? Oh, well, yeah. So one, I talked about how the growth hormone repairs us. Um, yes. The mental, emotional health. I, I believe mental health is the most important kind of health. You got to have that first 
before you can have the physical, again, in my opinion. And I think that's what we have a real crisis of in our country is we have a mental health crisis and Mm -hmm. then we have a lack of access to care crisis, Mm -hmm. right? So it's very hard. I mean, insurance nowadays is almost worthless, right? Mm -hmm. And if you know, you pay, you work, you pay all this money to have insurance and you want to go to the doctor and they hardly cover it. It, It's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's a major problem. It's a, it's a major problem, you know? And, and once we have that, once we have proper mental health, then we can build on that and say, okay, well, I'm really going to be more mindful of what I'm eating, right? Because if you feel like crap all the time, if you eat crap, it's like you get this temporary, like high, temporary enjoyment, and then you just go back to feeling like crap, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas if you have good mental health, if you eat some bad food one time, you can go, ooh, you know what? I don't think that chicken sandwich from KFC, you know, hit me right. Right. <laughs> And uh, I think next time, maybe I'll make my own sandwich. <laughs> right, right. You know? And then go from there. Not to pick on KFC. When I was a little kid, I worked there. Uh, right. But just like, any fast food, any fast food place. Okay. All right. Where can people find you online and on the internet? So our website is tmjla.com or tmjconejo.com. They're both really the same website for the same, you know, two different locations, but I'm in both. If you go on Facebook and type in TMJ and Sleep Therapy Center of Conejo Valley or TMJ and Sleep Therapy Center of Los Angeles, there I am. Um, My website has a lot of articles and a lot of information. So people Mm -hmm. can just look into that and say, hey, yeah, that's what I want to know about. Cool. And what, what would you consider, who are people that need to see you just so that they are clear? Yeah. So if, so on the sleep front, so if you have snoring or sleep apnea. Okay. And you've either tried CPAP or, and you didn't like it, or you just know you don't want CPAP, right? We have to, we have to acknowledge that because even though CPAP works better than oral appliances, which is what I make, it's just not tolerated as well as oral mm-hmm, appliances, mm-hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. so there's that. Um, and then people with chronic pain. So if you have jaw pain, headaches, migraines, neuralgias, uh, the kind of therapies that we do is very successful. And it's more holistic. It's non-surgical. And, awesome. um, and tertiarily, if uh, you want to have orthodontics done, especially in children, but even in adults, if you want to have it done without having teeth extracted, um, when your arches are developed, where we encourage the normal swallow with our appliances because our appliances take up such low oral volume, that would be how I could best serve people. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Shirazi. This was a great conversation. Thank you for having me. This is fun. Thank you. Attention, superfood lovers. You all may know by now that my favorite African superfood of all time is Moringa. Why? Moringa has 92 nutrients and 46 antioxidants, and every part of the amazing plant can be used. I personally use Moringa oil on my face twice a day, and then I also use Moringa powder to add to my smoothies, make Moringa bread, or sprinkle on meals for added nutrition from an amazing company called True Moringa. 
Founded in 2013, True Moringa is creating jobs and community with their amazing skincare and wellness products. The coolest part? Every time you make a purchase from True Moringa, they plant a tree in your name. Yes, child, to date they have planted over 2 million Moringa trees to combat deforestation and malnutrition in Ghana. To check out their awesome products, visit TrueMoringa.com and use the code RAWGIRL at checkout for 10% off and free shipping over $20. Are you interested in living your best, healthiest life? I'm Asosa E, also known as The Raw Girl of TheRawGirl.com, and I'm a certified nutrition specialist and behavioral coach who specializes in helping you discover what exercise and diet is best for your body and get to the root cause and rebalance if you have a serious chronic condition. Clients who've worked with me have reversed diabetes, hypertension, balanced hormonally, gotten rid of acne for good, and lost hundreds of pounds. If you are interested in reaching your health goals with some support this year, visit therawgirl.com to sign up for a 20-minute call with yours truly. Until then, stay healthy and happy. All right, all right. It's time to take a question from Instagram or email. Remember, if you would like to have your question answered on the show, all you got to do is send me a DM or slide up in my DMs on Instagram at therawgirl or contact me via my website, therawgirl.com. Today's question is from Jenny via Instagram who says, how many servings of fruits and vegetables should I have per day? Well, Jenny, depending on their age and sex, federal guidelines actually recommend that adults eat at least one and a half to two cups per day of fruit and two to three cups per day of vegetables as part of a healthy eating pattern based on the U.S. dietary guidelines. I and other nutritionists, at least the nutritionists, uh, certified nutrition specialists, think that that is actually way too low. So usually when I'm recommending the servings of fruits and vegetables, I'm looking at the person's body weight. I'm also looking at how much fruits and vegetables they actually currently consume. Um, I may recommend someone do usually maximum two to three servings of fruit cups per day of fruit. So slightly higher again than the federal guidelines and anywhere from four to eight cups, sometimes even um, up to 10 cups of vegetables per day. I know that sounds like a lot, but some people actually need a lot more based on their body weight and how many calories they need to consume. So I would say a good average, I would say anywhere between four to six cups is a nice kind of mid-range to stick around. So one cup of vegetables raw or a half a cup cooked counts for the same amount. So you could you can base your amounts based on cooked and raw that way. I hope this helps you. All right, all right. That is all she wrote for today's show. I hope you got the memo. Getting adequate sleep is not only crucial for your health, but it also increases your productivity and efficiency. So today, I want you to practice better sleep hygiene. Change that mattress. Create a sleep schedule to follow. Cut down on the alcohol and caffeine past a certain time. Trust me, you will feel refreshed and healthier. An Irish proverb says, a good laugh and a long sleep are the best cures in the doctor's book. So do not cut your sleep short, child. It's the foundation for your optimal health.
Well, that's all for today, sis. If you're looking for more health tips or have a question for the show, find me on Instagram at therawgirl. You can also find me and contact me through my website, therawgirl.com. For more on the show or to listen to past episodes, visit stayingagelessshow.com. To watch the interview on video from this and past podcast episodes, subscribe to my YouTube channel, youtube.com backslash therawgirl.